0: I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Like, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. I have a coffee in hand, so my second cup of the day, been up early with our daughter. I know you had some stuff going on this morning, so we are just ready to see what's going to happen in this uh, podcast today, as well as hopefully unleash some new potential and dreams in the listeners' hearts due to the amazing guests that we have. So who is that special guest, Josiah?
1: To set it up, I'll just ask a question. Have you ever felt like there's more inside of you that you don't know how to tap into? Have you ever felt like maybe um, there's something really important that you're supposed to contribute to this world or to society or to the church or your community or a generation? I think if you answered yes to that question, this episode and this show And this guest is gonna especially resonate with your heart. We are joined today, I'm geeking out, really excited. We're joined today by Jim Stovall. And Jim has an amazing story, we're gonna get into that. He's been a national champion Olympic weightlifter. Come on somebody, he's the president of the Emmy award winning narrative television network. He's also a highly sought after author and platform speaker and possibly best known uh, for the as the author of the best-selling book, The Ultimate Gift. One of my favorite books of all time, which has also been um, turned into a major motion picture starring James Garner and Abigail Breslin. Um, for his work in making television accessible to our nation's 13 million blind and visually impaired people. The President's Committee on Equal Opportunity selected Jim Stovall as the Entrepreneur of the Year. He also was chosen as the International Humanitarian of the Year, joining people like Jimmy Carter, Nancy Reagan, and Mother Teresa as recipients of this high honor. And Jim, we just want to say hello. Thank you for taking time with Mike and
2: I today. Well, it's a blessing to be with you and I look forward to our time together.
0: We are so excited, Jim. I will tell you that I married him to a Josiah's family about three years ago. I've known him for about, what, six years. Right. And one of their family traditions is to sit down during Christmas and watch The Ultimate Gift. So that is my first experience of seeing the movie was through a fun family tradition that Josiah's family has started years ago. So. Now that we have you and now that we can pick your brain, I cannot wait to see what is going to be told today and how people are going to be encouraged. But for the listener who may not know you for whatever reason, would you just be willing to start us off by sharing some of your story, the journey of life, faith, leadership, and anything else you want to share with the audience today?
2: Well, I grew up uh, here in my hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as a young man, I had only one ambition, and that was to be an All-American football player and then go into the NFL and make my living as a professional football player. And coaches and scouts that monitor those sorts of things assured me I had the size and the speed to do that. So I just thought it was just a matter of time till uh, I ended up uh, on some team in the NFL making my living doing that. And then... Each year before you go start another season of football, you have to go get a pretty intense physical. It's just part of the routine. And I went in for my routine physical and they poke you, they prod you, they weigh you, they measure you, they do all this. They want to make sure that uh, you're healthy before they take you out and try to kill you. And this, <laughs> this particular year, um, I the physical was taking a lot longer than I had remembered it being. And then, uh, a doctor came in and shined a light in my eyes. The second doctor came in and did the same. And eventually a third doctor came in and he ran several other tests. And eventually the three doctors took me down a long haul and sat me down at a table. And they said, Jim, we're not sure why. And we're not sure when, but we do know that someday you're going to be totally blind and there's nothing we can do about it. And your whole world just stops. And... Uh, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew I was not going to go into the NFL and play football. Uh, my, my quick research at that time told me there's never been a blind guy playing in the NFL. Now, if you ever watch some of the preseason games, you would probably question that. But uh, <laughs> So anyway, I, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I went back to my hometown there in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, uh, And I had always grown up in the church. My parents were uh, very active in the church. And uh, I would say that I was religious. I I did something as a habit. It was a religious experience. And religion is great until you come face to face with a crisis. And then you better develop a relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, that next morning I got up and I had a serious conversation with God. I figured, If you're real, I may as well tell you what I think because you already know anyway. And and if you don't, it really doesn't matter. So um, I told God I was angry and upset. and, and, And I said, God, if you are real, you need to show up for me today and show me that there's another place in this world for a blind guy to do something of significance. And I need to know that you're there. Well, I could still see well enough to get around, and, and that was the fall of that year. And at each fall, the State Fair comes to my town, and I had never gone since I'd been a little tiny kid because I'm always out playing football. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go to the State Fair and uh, wander around there and just kind of try to escape and forget about this. Well, the first thing I did was in the main exhibit hall, they had a uh, demonstration going on from the previous Olympic team. And uh, when I approached the, the, the girls, the gymnasts were there. Frankly, I went over to look at the girls. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, when, when they were done, they brought out the, these weightlifters. And I watched those guys. And I thought, you know, now that's something a guy could do even if he was losing his sight. So I left there and I went on down the midway to the pavilion, a big arena there. And the sign said, free concert. I didn't know who was playing or when it started, but free really fit my budget.
0: That's right.
2: So I went in and I sat on the front row. There wasn't anybody there yet in this huge arena. So all alone there, I prayed a little, I cried a little, I reminded God, "You've got about six hours left until, uh, you know, you're going to time out on this uh, demand I put on you." If you can imagine this, this young man, uh, you know, putting Almighty God on the clock there. But that's what I did, and. You know, I thought about, you know, losing my football career. I thought a little about those weightlifters. And I thought, is there really something a blind guy could do? And I I was so intense in my thoughts and my prayers that the the arena kind of filled up around me. And the first thing I was really aware of was a voice I will never forget. It said, ladies, and gentlemen, please welcome to the State Fair, the one, the only, the legend, Ray Charles. Wow. And, And they brought Ray out. And he was about 10 feet away from me. And Ray was absolute magic. And I said, okay, I get it. That I mean, for me, Ray Charles was a burning bush. I get it. Right. And, and that was the beginning of my journey to create my businesses and all the things I've done. And it was 10 years later, I was in Madison Square Garden in New York speaking to 18,000 international business people. And as I came off stage, the promoters said, wow, that is exactly what we needed. And I have another group coming in on Friday would you stay over? Well, I, I certainly would agree to that. And he said, do you want to go back to Oklahoma? You want to stay in New York? Well, I had some television business to do. So I said, I'll just stay here. And he said, well, since you're going to be here, I have another act uh, in town this week if you want to go. And I, I didn't. I, I was totally blind by then, and wasn't comfortable out in public. But I'm just trying to be polite to this man that's paying me this ridiculous amount of money. So I said, well, who do you have in town? He said, well, tomorrow night, opening Carnegie Hall, Ray Charles. And I said, yeah, I believe I'd go to that. And and so I went. I sat on the front row again, and there we are 10 years later. And, uh, you know, afterwards, they took me backstage, and that began my relationship with Ray that uh, continued until his death. And, uh, you know, and you you think – I remember my last conversation with Ray Charles. He said, do you think when we're in heaven, we'll be able to see? I said, I'm depending on it. Yeah, I think so. And he said, what do you think an angel looks like? You know, and I said, well, angels are who God sends us to, you know, prepare the way and uh, take care of us. And uh, I said, as far as I'm concerned, angels look like Ray Charles because uh, you made, you know, you were God's messenger to me at that time and place. And uh, so that was kind of the beginning of my journey.
0: Wow. I got goosebumps the moment you said Ray Charles the first time, the second time my mouth is on the floor.
1: (laughs) Jim, that's incredible. And for anyone who's never heard your story, it is one that simply is, you go only God can do this and orchestrate Mm -hmm. it and I would just ask a quick follow up question. How old were you when, when that first encounter at the State Fair happened?
2: I was uh, about nineteen, uh, co- almost twenty years old, and yeah. then, and then uh, you know, just before I was twenty nine, I lost what little bit of vision I had left, and for the last thirty one years, I've been totally blind.
1: Thank you so much for just sharing that, and obviously, many, probably a majority of people listening will have heard of the the book, um, the ultimate gift, or maybe they watched and streamed. The, the movie. Um, but Mike and I have both read it as well as we watch the movie annually as a holiday tradition, like she mentioned. And can you just share, Jim, for the listener, what inspired you to write this story?
2: Well, I started my company, Narrative Television Network, because when I went totally blind, I moved into this little nine by 12 foot room in the back of my house. And in there with my radio and my telephone, and my tape recorder. And You know, I fully intended to never leave there again. The thought of traveling millions of miles and speaking to millions of people in arena events or writing 50 books or having eight of them turned into movies or running a television network or talking to you guys on the podcast, the thought of any of that was uh, like going to the moon to me. And I sat there day after day after day, getting more and more depressed and discouraged. And before I had lost my sight, that room in in the back of my house was our TV room. So I knew across the room there was a TV and a video player and my collection of classic movies. And one day out of just sheer boredom, I put one on and I thought, you know, I've watched these so many times. I'll just be able to listen to this and kind of follow along. And it worked for a while. It was an old Humphrey Bogart film. But then somebody shot somebody and somebody screamed and the car sped away and I forgot what happened. And I got really frustrated. And I said the magic words. I said, somebody ought to do something about that. You know, in the whole world's praying for a great idea, and they trip over one about three times a week. The only thing you got to do to have a great idea is go through your daily routine, wait for something bad to happen, and say, how could I have avoided that? And the only thing you got to do to create a great business, the only thing you got to do to have a great business is ask yourself one more question. How can I help other people avoid that? Because success is much like anything else in life. It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about who can we serve and how much. And so I thought, you know, if I would add an extra soundtrack to TV shows and movies and educational programming, they'd be accessible. And I found out there's 13 million blind and visually impaired people in America. And so that was the beginning of our business. I started that and we got an Emmy Award for our first season on national television. Well, because of that, I was asked to be the keynote speaker at the National Association of Broadcasters. and so I did, and more and more people started asking me to come and speak. And the next thing I know, I'm doing an arena event, uh, tour of uh, arenas on the West Coast with uh, uh, Dr. Dennis Whaley and, and Dr. Robert Schuler. And so one day, the three of us are sitting backstage, and Dr. Schuler turns to me with that godlike voice he had and said, my friend Jim, I believe you should write a book. And I said, I can't read a book. Why should I write a book? It made no sense to me. About that time, the MC did my introduction. I went out in the arena. I did my hour. As, as I came off stage, Dr. Waitley was there. And he said, hey, while you were out there, we got it all worked out. And I thought they meant the ground transportation to the plane. I didn't know what we were talking about.
1: Yeah.
2: And I said, what did you, you guys work out? And he said, well, while we were out there, Dr. Schuler called his publisher, Thomas Nelson. And I agreed to write the foreword to your book. And we'll need your manuscript in about 90 days. <laughs> and that's when I became an author. I came back and I, you know, I dictated my story of losing my sight and starting the television network and all the things that have happened to me since. And they put it out. Uh, the title was You Don't Have to Be Blind to See. That was 50 books ago. Mm. And I thought it was done. I thought it was completely done. And then the publisher called in a month and said, wow, this is selling well and we need another book, and another book, and another book. Well, after about six books, I had written everything I knew, and a few things I only suspected. So when they wanted another book, you know, I I figured I'm gonna have to do something different, so I thought, I'll write a novel, I'll make up a story. So over the next five days here in my office, between my phone calls and meetings, I dictated what became the book The Ultimate Gift. There's never been an edit, never been a rewrite, and the way I dictated that book is how oh, close to 10 million people now have read that book. And uh, it became the basis for uh, three more books and, and and three movies, The Ultimate Gift, The Ultimate Life, and The Ultimate Legacy. And, you know, that has opened so many doors for me and really changed my life. And um, so that's kind of where that came from. And I will be honest with you. I. You know, I I had this idea for this young man who had been spoiled and, you know, his grandfather was this billionaire and and I didn't know what I was going to do, but he was going to go on these 12 kind of quests. And, you know, the first one, it was the only one I had in my mind. I thought, well, it'd be cool to make this rich kid do, you know, really hot, dirty, hard work. So I made him, you know, digging post holes in Texas in the middle of the summer. And uh, because I had done that here in Oklahoma and I thought that now that's something you don't want to be caught doing any more than you have to. So, you know, and after that, I thought, okay, now that he's done that, it's money. And then after that, friends and family and the gift of a day and the gift of problems and all of those things. But I really I wrote the book just like the readers read it. I mean, a page at a time. And uh, I really didn't know what the next gift was. and. I never really read it back, and a year or so later, Tom Bosley from Happy Days and Father Dowling, he did the audio book, and I was very grateful to him, so I thought I ought to listen to it, and I I was on a plane, and I listened to the the audio of that book, and I tell you, I I started believing in divine intervention, because there are huge parts of that book, I had no recollection of what it was, and, uh, and, um, but that was the beginning of uh, of an amazing experience. And I, I am very grateful for that book. It, it's exactly where I want to be with my writing and the movies that I make. Um, you know, it, it, it is not per se a Christian book, although for the last decade it has been among the top three sellers in Christian bookstores during right. the holidays. But on the other hand, there are 2,200 public schools that use that book as a part of their curriculum. Okay. And, uh, so that to me is kind of where I want to live with my work.
0: That is so good. And what a great reminder to know that there are conversations that happen without us in the room. There are things that God's moving behind the scenes, whether we realize it, recognize it, or even want it. But to have those friends come alongside you and say, oh, here's your publisher. We're doing the forward. <laughs> I mean, they made a decision for you and gave you a timeline and nominated you to write a book even before, you know, the day was over. So... <laughs> So that's so fun to hear. And Jim, speaking of like gift and life and legacy, how can young leaders live a life that makes the most of every opportunity to truly leave a legacy?
2: Well, you know, our legacy is much like I think of eternal life. I mean, you know, a lot of people mistakenly think, well, that's at the end of your life or after you pass away. No, we're living eternal life right now today. Right. And in our legacy, we are building today one confrontation, one moment, one conversation at a time. There are people listening to us right now. And the only contact they will ever have with you or me is this conversation we're having right now. Right. So everything we do, Everything we say, who we are, and everything is a part of our legacy. And, uh, you know, that is just such a valuable thing to remember, is that we're doing it one day at a time. And, you know, we live in a world when it's all said and done. There's way too much said and not near enough done. And, you know, people are sick of hearing about it. They just want to watch it. And, uh, you know, because of the ultimate gift and the subsequent movies and books, a lot of billionaire families will have me come to their family reunions to talk to their second, third generation about stewardship and uh, values and the various things. But I always tell the grandparents or the parents, don't kid yourself. I mean, you can't, exi- you know, you cannot model a lifetime of poor behavior and assume I'm going to fix it in an afternoon. It doesn't work like that. You know, your your actions are speaking so loudly, they can't even hear my words here. Mm-hmm. And um, So the, the, you know, the, the first thing we do with our legacy Is we be the person that we're called to be. And then you can call people up to a higher standard and their higher calling. But first and foremost, it's about being who you want to be.
1: Jim, that's amazing. So many things stand out to me. And one of them, just because you said it, it just echoes in my ear. And you said, when it's all said and done, there's way too much said and not nearly enough done. And I think that young people are wanting to make a difference they're wanting to change the world and sometimes waiting for this golden ticket or their moment to shine and like you said earlier it may be right in front of them as a problem as a challenge and my question to you as well as someone who can speak to this what advice would you give someone jim who's maybe in the midst of the pain in the midst of their darkest hour, in the midst of hardship or challenges, they're facing adversity in this moment, and somehow God guided them to this episode. What advice would you give someone who's in the thick of it and the struggles just really real in their life?
2: Well, several things you need to do. Uh, the scriptures promise us that all things will work together for good, but it certainly does not say all things are good, mm-hmm. and you know bad things happen to good people, but You know, as we go through our life, you know, we feel like we're in the middle of this struggle and chaos and all this stuff. And then every once in a while, you come out on a plateau where you can look back across where you've been and and see how far you've come. And as you examine where you've been, you see this divine order. You see this amazing, miraculous planning that's come into place, and you realize As chaotic as it was as difficult as it was that was the only way I would have gotten here and you know and you know when you feel those things you know you need to remember I'm still a child of God all his promises are true he's still on the throne and uh, there will be a day when what I'm dealing with now will be a story it will be an example it will be a model for other people and it will help them through this process and then you know I'm a huge believer in the fact that all things do work together for good. So start looking for the good. Where is wow. the good in there? And then when you really get down and you're in despair and you're struggling with all those things, the the, the quickest thing I know how to do is is I actually two pieces of advice. One my grandmother gave me oh, 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, and uh, I was at her house. And those of you who've seen the ultimate gift. Um, the little girl played by Abigail Breslin with leukemia. Mm-hmm. That was not totally fiction. I, My older sister died of leukemia when we were little kids, and that's where I got that character from. Well, because my parents were taking her all across the country trying to get treatment, I had to stay with my grandparents, and I didn't have my, my toys or my friends or my dog or nothing. I'm just this four- or five-year-old little kid, and I, I guess I was complaining a lot. And my grandmother told me, she said, Now, Jim, we have a rule here at our house. You can complain all you want as soon as you fill out your golden list. And I said, what is a golden list? And she said, well, all you got to do is write down 10 things you're thankful for. Wow. And I remember I wasn't old enough. So I didn't know how to write. So she wrote them down. But it is a process I have been doing every morning of my life from that day to this. Wow. Um, for over a half century, every day I write down 10 things I'm thankful for. And I defy you or anyone listening to us to write down 10 things you're thankful for and have a bad day. It just doesn't happen. And then the second thing, when you're feeling that depression, that despair, just remember it isn't about you. And ask yourself, what can I do to be a blessing to someone else today? And if you'll get, you know, one of the great paradoxes in when you're suffering, when you're in lack, when you have a need, if you'll go help someone else, it solves your problem. And, um, you know, that's such a powerful thing. So be thankful for everything you have and go help somebody else. And, uh, you know, that's what it'll do. And, and I, I take great solace in the seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, to me, what that tells me is I can either worry about all these other things or I can just worry about seeking his kingdom. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of a simple guy, one track mind. So if I can just focus on that and let him take care of everything else, um, it's a good division of labor, and it has served me well throughout the year.
0: I think that's so good, Jim. I think one thing that I've learned in – just in ministry and just growing into my faith and walk with the Lord is worry is wasted prayer and fear is putting faith in the enemy. And even for the listener today, if you're up against something like Jim said, look at what am I thankful for? Mm. Like if there's breath in my lungs, then there's still purpose for my life. If you know, there's a roof over my head and a meal in my belly, I should be happy and rejoicing. And I think sometimes as Americans or people or, Um, just being a human being, probably, we take our eyes off the Lord and focus on the meaningless things of life. And Jim, I know that you've shared your story of being um, physically blind, but what would you say for somebody who is, you know, spiritually blind right now, who is desiring more of God, but not seeing truly the things that he has for him? What advice would you give to that person who's wrestling today?
2: Well, for the first part of my life, I had sight. Mm-hmm. And sight is a precious gift. It tells you where you are and what's around you. It's a very handy thing to have. But somehow in the process of losing my sight, he gave me vision. And as precious as sight is, vision is an infinitely more precious gift. Because vision tells us where we could be and what is possible. Yep. And The scriptures, they don't tell us my people perish for lack of sight. The scriptures tell us my people perish for lack of vision. And, you know, and the reality is people tell me, you know, I don't have a vision. Yeah, you do. You've been given a vision many times. You just haven't looked at it that way. You know, we all had those dreams, those goals, those callings, those things. When we were teenagers or young adults, you know, I'm going to be this, do this, have this. I'm going to create this. I'm going to change the world. But somewhere between there and here, this thing called reality sets in, and we get so busy we get so busy making a living that we forgot to create the life. Wow. And if I'm here today to do anything, it's to remind everyone that the greatest calling, the biggest, scariest goal you ever had in your life, the one way down deep in your soul that only you and God know about. <laughs> it's still alive and well, and the only thing you've got to do to activate it right here on this podcast is go into that little voting booth in the middle of your soul that only you and God know about and reach up there and grab that handle that says yes and say, I am going to vote for me. I believe this. I don't know how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, who to do it with. I don't know where to get the money. I don't know anything about this, but I am going to do that. That is worthy of me. And the only other person that gets a vote is you and God. And once you vote for yourself, you'll find out he voted for you a long time ago.
0: Oh, That's so good. That's
2: so amazing.
1: Jim, I know that um, God's just used you a handful of times in my life, some on the phone like this, some through your writing, through, you know, motion picture, to just download that dreams are alive and well. And there's a head full of dreams. There's a heart full of vision in, in Micah and in myself. And I believe in the listener's heart as well, that God's the ultimate dream giver mm-hmm. and dreams are gifts from him. Like we are not ultimately responsible for the final outcome. That's really up to him. But there is a voting process that he invites us into. And that's a beautiful thing, like you said. And I want to ask you two questions about books because I'm a curious person. The first one, I remember something that you said the last time we chatted, it just really uh, caught me off guard, took me by surprise. You're a voracious audiobook listener. Can you talk for a second about being a lifelong learner?
2: Yeah, I, um, you know, as someone with 10 million books in print, a uh, New York times bestseller nominated for a Pulitzer prize, I'm embarrassed to, to tell you and your listeners, your audience that, uh, When I could read with my eyes, like most of you do, I don't know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. I was an athlete, and uh, I thought that was enough. After losing my sight, I was exposed to audiobooks at a time they were going digital. And I had the blessing of becoming part of an experiment done by the creators of audio, digital audio. And they had invented this thing called compressed digital audio which allowed you to speed it up. And they were curious, how fast could you speed it up? And wow. people still have comprehension. And so I sped it up a little more and a little more and a little more, which is what I still do to this day. And I can listen to an average book at uh, oh, probably seven to 800 words a minute, which means I can finish a 10-hour book in an hour and 15 or 20 minutes. So I, re- I read a book every day. There has not been a day in the last 25 years, I haven't read a whole book cover to cover, and that changed my life. I mean, becoming, becoming a reader made me become a writer. It opened the whole world to me because I was stuck in this little nine by 12 foot room I thought I would never leave again. But through my audio books, um, Shakespeare and Hemingway and Mark Twain and the Apostle Paul came to my little room and my universe got huge all of a sudden. And uh, that was the beginning of me thinking about, you know, could I actually write a book? And what would that look like? And, uh, you know, and I, I understand the divine absurdity when you, you write books you can't read that are turned into movies you can't watch. I get that, but, you know, that has become a part of my reality.
1: Jim, um, silly question and then a serious one. I just gotta know, when you speed up an audio book, at what point is chipmunk speed like Alvin? Like, what? At what rate is chipmunk
2: speed? Well, you know, probably at 300 words a minute, you know. Uh, but because the digital audio, it, it basically compresses the the silent spaces between the words and the letters, so it, it doesn't get as high as people would think. It just sounds like one constant noise.
1: Got it. <laughs> I was just um, imagining like the Alvin and the Chipmunks read you your books. But no, I'm <laughs> totally kidding there. But so, Jim, also, like I wrote my first book in 2017. Um, I remember calling you just to ask you advice on that. And it it has impacted thousands of college students to graduate debt-free and just help them with that issue and problem. And Micah, I believe it was 2018, her first book, um, Worth the Wait" Journal, came out and just about purity and so we want to tap into your wisdom and and it might be that the listener today has a dream that God placed in their heart about writing or sharing their voice sharing their story with the world and what advice would you have for a young writer or aspiring author
2: well first be a reader all writers that i know of that are good are voracious readers and then great writers write every day uh, you know and whatever you do you need to do it every day mm-hmm. and and one of the things we had a real blessing a few years ago because uh, Ernest Hemingway's grandson re-released a new version of his book The Movable Feast and the blessing was that in the back of the book he included part of Hemingway's first draft of that book wow but what what that did is it taught people like me that uh, I'm no different than Hemingway. See, uh, writing is a lot like social media. We know our real life, and we look at everybody else's highlight reel, and we start to feel inferior, or we look at the, the, the page we typed today, this draft of our book, and then we go over and read Hemingway's final version uh, of his book, and we think we're inadequate when in reality, when you read his first draft, it's no different than ours. And, um, so you know you, you need to write something every day, and um, you know put yourself out there, and it, it's hard to do. I mean it, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it, but it it is such a blessing to be able to do, and you know, I always imagine the people out there someone, somewhere, there is someone waiting for wow. the thing you're afraid to write, the wow. thing that's scaring you to write, there is someone out there afraid and broke, and concerned, and sick, and what they need is what you're afraid to write, and if you're going to deny yourself for the love of God, please don't deny them.
0: Wow, that is an incredible challenge, and I think that resonates with myself, and Josiah, and the really, listener, definitely. that we ha- we may have a heart full of dreams, and a head full of ideas, but we need to get activated, and start doing it, putting our hands to to the grindstone and put our nose to the grindstone and just surrender that to God in the process and see what he does and not rob people of an opportunity to experience breakthrough. Obviously we are not the answer, but he may be using us as a puzzle piece for a portion of that answer to somebody else's breakthrough moment. And wow, what a great challenge. And Jim, we want to challenge you next. We do something with our podcast. The last five minutes that we have with you we're going to ask you is called five and five so five final thoughts five questions in five minutes do you think you can do that
2: we can do it
0: we can do it okay (laughs) so this is one of my favorite questions question one if you could describe your soul right now in three words what would those three words be today jim my
2: soul is expectant my soul is at peace, and my soul is grateful. Oh. Amen. <laughs>
1: I'm passionate and fired up hearing you share your wisdom, Jim. Um, second question, are there any words that you live by? It could be a quote, a verse,
2: just any words that you live by. Every time I get on stage at an arena somewhere in the world, I always tell my audience, please don't miss the power of this message due to the weakness of the messenger. I am not someone that has arrived. I am a fellow traveler and you came here seeking answers. I don't have the answers, but I will confront you with questions and hold a mirror up in front of your face and you will discover God created you with the answers you need. But there are three truths I always leave with people. One, you have the right to choose and you are where you are because that's where you chose to be. And if you don't like it, get up off your blessed assurance and change the channel. Number two, you are one quality decision away from anything you want. You're one quality decision away from whatever you want. It all begins when you decide. And I don't care whether it's your faith, your salvation, your family, anything you have in life changes when you change your mind. And then that's the third. You change your life when you change your mind. So you have the right to choose your one quality decision away and you change your life when you change your mind.
0: What a great challenge. I'm like wanting to take notes over here, but I don't have a pen, but I will be going back and listening to this episode several times, even as I'm living it. (laughs) So Jim, question number three, I know you uh, have been an athlete and a sports fan, and here's a little um, baseball curveball for you. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would you ask us?
2: The question that I always ask myself, Before I do anything, I pick up the phone, before I got on this podcast, before I sit down to dictate something I'm writing, a screenplay, one of my columns, whatever I'm writing, I ask myself one simple question. What would I do right now if I were amazing? Not good, not adequate, not okay. What would I do if I were amazing? Because God has given us the ability and the talent and the tools to do anything we want. The the only thing we have to bring to the party is effort and attitude. That's all we have. Everything else will be supplied. You show up with a great effort and a great attitude. Life will change. But, um, you know, what would I do right now if I were amazing?
0: Go ahead. Oh, my
1: gosh. Well, Jim, I'll give it a stab. I just think like if I was amazing, fear would not hold me back. Uh, I would not be ashamed or afraid or nervous i think there'd be a boldness that would come about me a courage and uh, i wouldn't have to like psych myself up to make a certain phone call that intimidated me i would just flow in it i would just do it fearlessly and i think that that would apply to writing books making some videos that would encourage and bless people um preaching the word of god i think it would apply to every meeting. And I think it's like, I would do the things that I'm afraid to do right now, Jim.
0: Oh my gosh, you took my word. Okay. So two words I would definitely, what Josiah said, approach everything fearlessly, um, but also surrender to God completely, but also just lean into the tenacious um, aspect of what he's called me to do and how he's called me to do it and not be ashamed, not be afraid, like Josiah was talking about. And also realize that no matter where we go, somebody's going to reject us. And I can't be afraid of that. You know, like Jesus said, if they, if they hate you or reject you, it's because they hated or rejected me first. And I know that God's downloaded some amazing, um, scary things into my life and into my heart and to sit down and actually do them each and every day. I think I would do exactly what you said every single day, a little bit at a time, you know, that's. I'm challenged by that question right now. I'm thinking what I should be doing right now after this podcast. (laughs)
1: We're going to leave this episode and go get so much done that we've been afraid to do. Yes. But back to you, Jim. Question four out of five. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to share about a mistake? It could be any mistake um, that you've made at any point in your life and maybe
2: what God taught you or revealed to you through that process. Well, the the mistakes I have made <clears throat> is when I don't have the faith to pursue the higher calling, you know, when I'm afraid to go do something else. And, um, you, know, it, 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 you know, one of the biggest challenges about being blind or having any profound disability or a situation in your life is people don't expect you to do anything, mm-hmm. you know. If I had stayed in my little nine by 12 foot room and played the radio for the rest of my life and never left that room again, nobody would, would have criticized me You know, isn't it great? He can play the radio. What a wonderful thing. I mean, nobody's going to do this. So you have to become internally motivated and you you have to do that. And um, so I have to constantly hold myself to a standard much higher than anybody in the world will and i have surrounded myself with a handful of people and i believe jim roan my late great friend and colleague when he said we become like the five people we hang around with the most and uh, boy if you'll think about that a little some of us are due for a bit of an upgrade and you know i and it doesn't mean you 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 reject all your friends or your family it's just you have to realize that you you cannot cast your pearls before the swine in that uh, You can only share your big dreams, your highest calling with certain people. So for me, all of my mistakes, all of my errors have always been accepting anything less than the best, anything less than that one thing. And that's why I always go with the question, what would I do right now if I were amazing? That came to me from one of my mentors, the legendary coach, John Wooden, the greatest coach coach that ever lived. And uh, I met him when he was 95 years old and we talked every week. Until he passed away just a, a few months before he was 100. And he called here to ask my office if I would autograph some books. And the, the young lady at the front desk said, John Wooden's on the phone. And I thought, well, that's a fairly common name. She knew I was a big fan of his, but I said, it's a common name. She said, well, two of the books he wants you to autograph for are for Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Bill Walt. So I had a pretty good feeling it was him. <laughs> And he said, Jim, you've got to do everything. What would you do right now if you were amazing? He said, I always told my ball players, there's only about five or six plays that matter in a ballgame. There's only about five or six. He said, unfortunately, I don't know which ones those are going to be. And I can tell you, if you're doing anything less than your best, it will be one of those moments. And that whole fear of, you know when your fear of failure gets replaced with the fear of not being amazing when you needed to be um your life changes i was rereading job this this last week and you know i'd always thought you know god and satan got together and victimized this poor guy and he had no control over it and then i read a passage and i'm sure the scriptures do this to you i swear they keep putting stuff in i didn't read <laughs> but you oh, As all these things happened to him, he said, the things I have feared the most have come upon me. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we become what we think about all day. Thoughts are things, and we do have the mind of Christ, but too often we don't use them.
0: That's so good. I mean, something that you already touched on, and I would encourage the listener as well, is I was challenged with this question or statement more or less, and it was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think that is a huge thing to evaluate. Who are you surrounding yourself with? You have friends like Job. (laughs) Do you have um, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse that you need to pray for? Because what did Job's wife say? Why don't you just um, pretty much die and curse your God? You know, like, holy moly, like who is speaking into my life and who do I have surrounding me is a great um, challenge and a great thing to start praying into. If you do not have wonderful Christ-filled, God-fearing people speaking into your life and have your best interest at heart. So, wowee. All right, last and final question. Jim, if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, what would you leave them with today?
2: First and foremost, you need to be your message. Don't do one thing and tell young people another. You know, and uh, you, you, you need to be your message and when god gives you a word you know a lot of us think well that's for me to write or me to make a movie about or me to make a speech about no first and foremost it's for me to live and too many people in the ministry think okay now i've got a word for them No, the words for you okay. and and uh, you know i always tell my audiences in the arenas um You know, know, I am not someone that's arrived. I'm talking to myself today, and you get to listen in. But if you want to know what's going on with Jim, these are things I'm struggling with right now. And uh, this is real, live stuff. So first thing, people in the ministry, live your message, be your message. Um, Secondly, realize that grace is much bigger and much more significant than we think it is. And we have a tendency to judge people on these minute, ridiculous things that don't matter. And when I did my very first book tour, they booked me onto this show called The Spiritual Roundtable in Chicago. I don't know how I got on, but there was rabbi somebody and reverend doctor so-and-so and and bishop somebody and me. And I thought, man, I am out of my league. And they asked us each these questions. And uh, the first question they asked these guys, and I was one, was, um, which figure in the Bible do you feel your life and ministry most emulates? And the first guy starts out, he believed he was like mirroring Paul. And then another guy was Peter. And I thought, wow, these guys are not, not suffering from a self-image problem here. And <laughs> what I, You know, I really thought about that. Who is there in the Bible that I could say my life mirrors and my spirituality mirrors? And there is one guy. He's my hero. He's my hope. He's my hero. And he is—we don't even know his name. He's the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. He was a bad guy. He, bad guy that did bad things, got what he deserved. Um, as far, never went to church, never sang a hymn, never gave an offering, never read the scriptures, never did any of the things we get all hung up about. And then, somehow, in the last moment of his life, he observed divinity in a way he understood it. Wow. And, and he said, remember me. And Jesus said, this day, ye shall be with me in paradise. And he's the one guy we know for a fact we'll meet in heaven. This day, ye shall be with me in paradise. And, you know, when people start getting hung up about all those other things, you know, just remember, grace is sufficient for the thief on the cross and Jim Stovall. And if we can make it, you can have a little tolerance for people that aren't on the same spiritual road you're on right
0: now. Mm-hmm.
1: Jim, that's amazing, this idea of learning it first, living it, and then sharing it with others, and I, I love how you said that with audiences, with just saying like, hey, these are things I'm wrestling with, and I'm talking to myself today, you just get to listen, <laughs> and Jim, your mindset uh, challenges me, your outlook on life encourages me, and the words that you share just really bless me. And inspire me and I just want to thank you for this great conversation today.
2: Well, my thanks and gratitude to you both and thanks for allowing me to uh, uh, be a part of what you do. I am very honored and I'm excited about you guys and where you're going.
1: That is amazing and uh, once again, thanks Jim and as a listener, you can find out more about Jim Stovall, The Ultimate Gift, his other books and movies when you connect with us on our website is at www.youngadults.today as well as you can follow the journey across social media. It's just at youngadults.today Until next time, this is Josiah and Micah signing off with Jim Stovall. Thanks so much.
0: And